Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, be ha- excuse me, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a fair garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of a brightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We were created with a natural curiosity. A desire to learn all that we can about the world in which we live. It is that pursuit of discovery that makes life an adventure. Opening our hearts and minds prepares us for the journey. Living to learn, learning to live. It was just about two weeks ago that my daughter Lucy, who's now almost two and a half years old, was moving up to her new classroom at her child care center. She attends our St. Luke's Edmond Child Care Center and has since she was just a baby. And this is now her third classroom to move up to. Every year in August, as kids are going back to schools, in our child care centers, our kids move up to their next classroom and they get their next set of teachers. So this is now her third set of teachers and third classroom to be in. And she has loved every single teacher that she has had. They have always taken such great care of her and taught her and loved on her. It just made a real difference in our lives. But as we were getting ready to go and do Meet the Teacher Night to meet her new teachers, I couldn't help but think about my grandfather. See, Lucy and my grandfather really had this special connection that was hard to explain. And yet whenever you saw them together, you could tell just how much joy they brought one another in life. Every time he would walk into the room, she would get so excited, smiling and giggling and laughing. Every time he saw her, he would get excited and he would start giggling and making silly faces at her. He would wave at her, and she'd wave back at him. They just had this special connection. Well, it was yesterday would have been my grandfather's 89th birthday. It was earlier this year that he passed on and entered into God's kingdom. As I was thinking about going back to meet the teacher day, I was thinking about a dinner that we had together as a family a few years ago. And at this dinner, my grandfather started talking and telling stories about his childhood growing up and some of his teachers that he had. He started telling us about his first grade teacher, Mrs. So-and-so, and and what a difference she had made in his life. He started talking about his fourth grade teacher, Mrs. So-and-so, and and what a difference she had made. And his eighth grade math teacher, who had helped him to find his calling and his passion for math and physics and science, that really helped him to find his calling to go on to become a civil engineer. He started going through and talking about all these different teachers who had made such an incredible difference in his life. And I asked him, I said, do you think you could name every teacher that you had in school? 
And immediately he started rattling off every teacher's name going from kindergarten all the way through high school. Here he was in his 80s and he could name every single one of them. I was in my 20s at that point and I couldn't do that. It was obvious what an incredible difference his teachers had made in his life. What an impact education had had on him. My grandfather was somebody who always instilled in me the value of education, the importance of learning throughout our entire lives. It was not only through what he said to me, but through what I witnessed in his life. He was always learning new things, whether it related to his career or whether it was just hobbies that he picked up and wanted to learn. He was always growing as a person all the days of his life. He really modeled what it meant to learn throughout your entire life. That you never get to an age where you don't have to learn anymore. He modeled for me that there's never a point that comes where you have all the wisdom that you need to have. Now what he showed me is that throughout our entire lives we can always be learning. And what I saw in his life is that because he was willing to do that, he really got to live a better life. This morning I want to begin a new sermon series Living to learn, learning to live. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be going through and talking about this idea of what does it mean for us to be growing, to always be learning in our lives, in our faith journey, the world around us, to be learning about other people. You know, right now is the time here in September where our students have started to go back to school. Kids are going off to college. It's a time focused on learning and growth. But the reality is that we don't ever get to that point where we stop learning in life. Whether we are in school, whether we are two years old, or whether we are in our 80s or 102 years old, we are always called to be growing, learning, becoming the people that God has created us to be. It's what our faith teaches us. As you read through the scriptures, both the Old and New Testaments, it talks over and over and over again about the importance of growing in our faith, the importance of learning, gaining wisdom, and then passing on wisdom from one generation to the next. In fact, there's an entire section in our scriptures that's known as the wisdom literature. It encompasses books like Ecclesiastes and Job, some of the Psalms, and of course where our scripture comes from today in the book of Proverbs. As you read through, our faith is clear that we are always called to be growing to be learning, developing into the people that God has created us to be. It doesn't matter how old or young we are, there's always new things to learn about the world around us and to learn about God. So as we begin this sermon series this morning, we're going to be given homework assignments each and every week for all of us as a family of faith to be doing to help us learn. Each week in your worship bulletin, you can also go onto our website to find these these homework assignments. There's going to be three pieces of homework for you. Every week we're going to ask you to do something to be learning more about God. This week we're going to be asking you to learn and to read the book of Proverbs. Every week we're going to ask you to do something to learn about the world around us, like reading an article from a National Geographic magazine. Every week we're going to ask you to do something to learn about the people around us. This week we're asking you to find somebody in your life, a coworker, a neighbor, a member of our church family that you don't know well, and to take the time to get to know them better. Every week, we're going to be encouraging us as a family of faith to be learning together, to be growing. Because I think what we find is that as we take it seriously, what it means to live our lives so that we are learning, 
what we're really going to find is that we're learning how to experience a more meaningful life. As we begin our sermon series this morning, there's just two ideas that I'd like to share with you. First, I do believe that through learning, we're able to find a deeper purpose to life. The more we explore, the more we grow, the more we experience who God is in the world around us, the more we find a deeper purpose for our lives. You know, in our scripture lesson today from the book of Proverbs, you find whenever you read the book of Proverbs that chapters 1 through 9 are really setting up the entire rest of the book. After chapter 9, you basically just get all of these little short sayings. And these little short sayings were just everyday practical advice that related to real life matters. And all of it was meant to be wisdom that was passed on from one generation to the next. Chapters 1 through 9 set up all this talking about the importance of wisdom and why it's necessary, why it's important for us to be growing, becoming the people that God has created us to be. In chapters 1 through 9, we find that this wisdom literature, Proverbs in particular, was intended to be passed on from a father to their son. That's what we see here in our scripture lesson today. Going from one generation to the next. In this scripture lesson, the father is telling the son in the final verse there in verse 13, Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is life. Now the she that's here is referring to wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is identified or personified as a woman. So the she or the her is actually talking about wisdom. Hang on to wisdom. Hang on to the importance of learning and growing. Because that's what gives you life. You want to experience more depth to life? You want to experience more purpose to life? Hang on to the importance of growing and learning and gaining wisdom. That's how you'll find it. You know, I am so excited for us to be kicking off Wednesday Night Alive here in about a week and a half. It's one of my favorite programs that we do here at St. Luke's. Because for nearly 30 years now, what we've found is that it is so important for us to be able to come together in the middle of our weeks. You know, life can get so busy. We can get so caught up in all of the day-to-day tasks and things that we need to do. All of the concerns that weigh upon us. And I find it to be such an important time to come in the middle of our week to simply be together with our family of faith. To experience the fellowship and getting to meet new friends over dinner. But it's also so important to come together in the middle of our week to be growing in our faith. To be taking classes on new and different topics so that we can be expanding who we are, challenging ourselves to become the people God has created us to be. You know, every week we come together as a family of faith for worship, and we know what an important time that is. It's our time to come into the presence of God, to be together with our family of faith. It's our time to give our praise and express our gratitude back to God, to be able to acknowledge who God is in our lives. But it's really in Bible studies, in Sunday school classes, in Wednesday Night Alive classes. That's really where we get to go deeper, to study the scriptures and to learn about our theology and to open our minds up to experience new ideas. I hope that you will be thinking about which class in Wednesday Night Alive you want to participate in. I'm looking forward to this one. I'm going to be teaching a class along with Dr. Long and Reverend Lambert all about Methodism. I'll be teaching it up at our Edmond campus. They'll be teaching it here at our downtown campus. But, you know, I'm excited for this because we're going to be going back to talk about John Wesley. He's one of my spiritual heroes, the founder of Methodism. You may remember that John Wesley lived for most of the 18th century. He was a priest there in the Church of England 
lived from 1703 to 1791. You know, growing up, John was so heavily influenced by his parents, Samuel and Susanna. Samuel, his father, was also a priest in the Church of England. But it was his mother, Susanna, who was really responsible for raising the children at home. She helped to not only instill in them this importance of growing in their faith, studying the scriptures, learning about theology, but she also taught them the rest of their schoolwork. She was there to help to teach them their math and their reading, their literature, all these other subjects. And she instilled within them this value of education, constantly growing and learning. John really excelled in school, so much so that he loved to learn. He decided to go off and study at Oxford College there at Christ Church. He and his brother Charles would be there together where they would both study to become priests there in the Church of England, following in their father's footsteps. Now, of course, John and Charles both loved to learn about theology. They loved studying the Bible. But as he continued to grow in his life, John found that it wasn't just the Bible. He loved learning about medicine. He would read all the time about human anatomy and physiology. What was the modern medicine of that day in the 18th century? He loved to learn about all kinds of different things in his life. John Wesley was really somebody who exemplified what it means to be a lifelong learner, to always be growing in his theology, in his faith, in his understanding of God and the world. When you look at John Wesley's early sermons that he preached as a, as a young preacher, he often would go around preaching about this, this idea of salvation by faith and the gift of God's grace. That was the predominant theme of his sermons early on in his ministry. And he would ride all over the countryside there in England, preaching this message everywhere that he went. That was what he wanted people to know and to understand about what it means to live the Christian life. That we have been saved through our faith in the gift of God's grace. But as you continue to read John Wesley and his later writings and his sermons, you see that he really was somebody who developed, who grew in his own theology and understanding of God and the world. So much so that by the time he was 84 years old, in 1787, he wrote a sermon called The More Excellent Way. In this sermon, he said, you know, there is this basic message of salvation by faith in God's grace. He said, that's an important way to live our lives, by that simple message. But he said, there's also another way in which we can live, a deeper way that we can understand our calling as Christians. The more excellent way, as he called it, he said, this is as we continue to grow in our faith. When we continue to learn, we continue to study. When we continue to open ourselves up to new ideas, we find that we can change. We can transform through the gift of God's grace. We can become more kind and compassionate people. We can find that we can experience the world in a new way, understanding mercy and forgiveness. He said these basics are important. We must know these things. But there is a more excellent way that as we continue to learn and to grow, there's a depth to life that we come to experience. Well, I believe that we are called to learn throughout our entire lives because in doing so, we do find depth. We do find meaning and purpose. And so second... I think what we find on this journey of learning is that there is great joy in discovery. As we come to discover new things about the world around us, 
as we come to discover new things about God and about who we are as God's children, we find that it comes with great joy. You know, I get to experience this every day right now with my daughter Lucy. At two years old, she is in this phase where she is exploring the world, everything around her in life. Every day she's getting to learn new words and new phrases. She's getting to learn what things mean. Her favorite thing to say right now is as we're driving around town or as we're going somewhere, she'll see something and she'll point and she'll say, what's that? What's that? What's that? And over and over again, every day I get to tell her what these different things are. And every day you can see this joy that comes onto her face as she discovers new things about the world. You know, seeing the world through the eyes of a two-year-old, you get to learn about the joy of discovery. You know, if we're not careful, then somewhere along the way, as we begin to grow older, we begin to lose that sense of joy in discovering new things. Sometimes if we're not careful, we, we find that we get to this place where we feel like we don't need to learn anymore. Sometimes if we're not careful, we tend to think that we maybe have all the answers, that there's nothing else for us to learn about. I believe that the day that we stop discovering new things about the world and about God is the day that we begin to lose our joy. You know, many of you have heard us talk about the opportunity we had earlier this summer to take a group of nearly 75 people from St. Luke's on a spiritual pilgrimage over to Italy and Austria and Germany. We went there ultimately to go to Oberammergau to be able to witness the Passion Play that's put on once every 10 years. It was an incredible experience. But as we were putting this trip together, we really did want it to be a spiritual pilgrimage, something that we would get to go and experience. And so as we put together the itinerary, we decided we wanted to start out in Rome. And from there, we were going to travel, and we were going to learn all about these saints of the church. We started in Rome, and we learned about St. Peter and St. Paul. We traveled up to Assisi, where we learned about St. Francis. We went over to Siena, where we learned about St. Catherine, and then over to Venice to learn about St. Mark. Well, along the way, we wanted to learn about these different saints so that we could find out the ways that they impacted the church and the world in their lives, and how we could gain those lessons for our lives today. Well, as we started putting together this itinerary, we, we started doing some research about all these different saints over in Europe. You know, what we found is that in many of these different cathedrals that we were going to visit, they have the relics of these saints there. Now, the relics are pieces of the remains of these saints. I got to tell you, the first time we walked into a church and there was a skull sitting there looking at me, I found it a little odd. But it's just not normal for us here, but it's normal over there. It's what they do. And so we went over and we were going to be learning about all these different saints and getting to visit the relics of them. So as we were doing our research, putting the trip together, we, we found a list of where all these saints are. And as I was looking through this list, I found that there was a note that said that the relics of St. Luke are actually in Padua, Italy. I did not know that. I had never heard that before. With St. Luke being our namesake here at our church, we thought, well, I wonder where Padua, Italy is. Could we go see St. Luke? I looked it up on Google Maps, and it turned out that Padua is actually located just outside of Venice. We knew that we were going to be going to Venice, and from there we were going to be going up to Austria. And as I looked at the map, I realized we were going to be going right by Padua on our way. So we reached out to our tour company and said, is there any way that we could make a stop in Padua to go and see our namesake, St. Luke? They said, well, that's not usually a place that we stop, but we'd be glad to do that for you guys. And so we built that into the itinerary. I really thought we're going to get there to Padua and we're going to get off the bus. We're going to go and see St. Luke. We're going to take a picture together as a group. 
and then we're going to get back on the bus and continue on our way. It wasn't going to be a long stop, just a quick place along the way. Well, we got there to Padua, and it was an incredible story. You know, I love our history here at St. Luke's. I love getting to go down to our archives and read our history books. And as I've read through our history, what I found is it was in 1904 that we changed our name to St. Luke's. The first 15 years of our church's life, we were simply called the Tabernacle Church. And that's because they built a small tabernacle down at 3rd and Broadway. That's the first place that we met as a church, in this little tabernacle. And we were the Tabernacle Church. So it was in 1904 that they voted to change the name to St. Luke's. And I've often wondered, why did they choose that name, St. Luke's? Why not St. Matthew or St. Mark's or St. Paul's? Why St. Luke's? In all my reading and research and going through the archives and talking with different people, I've never been able to find an explanation for why they chose that name. But as I've gone back to look at the person of St. Luke and who he was, we know that he was one of the gospel writers. He wrote the gospel according to Luke. He was somebody who was an evangelist committed to sharing the gospel message of Christ. We know from Paul's letters that Luke would travel with him on his missionary journeys and that Luke was a physician, a doctor. He was somebody who was committed to bringing healing to the lives of others. And so here we've been named after this person who brought healing and brought hope to the world through the love of God. I thought how appropriate that we would be named after somebody like that because for more than 130 years, that's been our calling as a family of faith to be those who bring healing and hope to the world. And so we got there to Padua, Italy, and we were going to go see St. Luke. We got off the bus, and they had actually arranged for a member of their church to come and meet us. And he was going to give us a tour of this basilica. It's the Basilica of St. Justina. He started taking us into this church and walking us around. He told us all about who St. Justina was, what she did for the early church. He started telling us about St. Matthias, who was also buried there at their basilica. You know, many of the basilicas that we went and visited, they were filled with tourists and people coming to see these relics and visit these saints. But this basilica was different. There was hardly anybody else in there. And so we basically had the place to ourselves. And, and finally, as we got towards the end of this tour, he took us over to this little side space, this little chapel area off the main sanctuary. And there we sat down in these pews, and he began to tell us the story of how they discovered that they had the relics of St. Luke there in Padua, Italy. And when I say that they discovered they had the relics, I truly mean they did not know for the longest time that they had him there. You have to wonder, how do you not know that you have one of the four gospel writers at your church? But he said it all started back in 1992. In 1992, the bishop there in Padua received a letter from the bishop of Thebes, Greece. And this bishop from Thebes, Greece had written to him and said, would you be willing to send us a significant relic of St. Luke so that we might have it at our church? You see, what we know about St. Luke is that he was born in Antioch, Syria, sometime around the middle of the first century. He would live his life and eventually would go on to become a doctor, travel around, starting new churches. He ended up in Thebes, Greece, where he helped to start a new church. And there eventually he would die at an old age in the middle of the second century and was buried there at the church. But from there, the story starts to get a little fuzzy. So when the bishop in Padua received this letter asking for a significant relic of St. Luke, he said, what are you talking about? We don't have St. Luke here. How could we send him to you? He was so interested in this letter and why they sent it to him, he started to ask around and talk with others. 
And as he started talking with other people there in their church, they started to say, you know, there are these old tales, these old legends that at one time maybe Luke actually was brought here to Padua. We don't really know if it's true or not, but these stories do exist out there. And so they decided over the next several years to start doing some research and to, to digging into it and finding out what they could. Well, it was in 1998 that they really opened this investigation. They started going back and researching these stories. And what they found is that Luke was buried there in Thebes, Greece. But it was sometime around the middle of the 4th century that they dug up his body and they moved him over to Constantinople. It was the capital of the Roman Empire at that time. He was moved there in the middle of the 4th century. And then some of the legends said that it was maybe around the 8th or 9th centuries. Others said, no, it was actually the 11th or maybe 12th or maybe even 13th centuries that his body was dug up again and taken to Padua. Other legends said, no, he was taken to Venice. Some said he was actually down in Egypt somewhere or over in Asia Minor. The stories start to get a little bit fuzzy at that point. But it picks back up several hundred years later in 1354. Because it was in 1354 that King Charles IV of Luxembourg had heard this tale that Luke's body was in Padua. And so he decided to send a group of people over to Padua to be able to find this body and to bring back a piece of him there that he might have him in Prague. They went out to Padua and they found there this, this marble sarcophagus. It was a beautiful sarcophagus. had this decorative filigree pattern on it. It was clearly somebody who was significant. They dug up and they, they opened up the sarcophagus. They found a skeletal remains inside. And so they took the skull, the head. They closed the sarcophagus back. They sealed it up. They placed it back in its resting place. And they took the skull back to Prague. And it's been there ever since 1354. So it was in 1998 that as they started doing this investigation, they went back to go find this marble sarcophagus. And sure enough, there it was at the church. It had this beautiful decorative filigree pattern on it. They decided to open it up to see what they found inside. And when they unsealed it in 1998, they found the skeletal remains of a person, almost completely intact, except for the skull. They found that the inside of the sarcophagus was lined with lead. It was an old technique that they would use to preserve whatever was inside. And this body had been very well preserved over these thousands of years now. They started doing some more scientific studies and research on these remains. They started doing carbon dating on the bones, and they found that these bones belonged to somebody who had died probably somewhere around the middle of the second century. They started doing some DNA evidence on it. They pulled two teeth out of the skull, running the DNA samples on it, and through this DNA, they found that the, the body belonged to somebody who was probably from the, uh, the area of Syria. As they started looking at the bones some more, they found that it had evidence of somebody who had osteoporosis and arthritis, signs of somebody who likely died in old age. Now, the more they started digging into this, the more they started researching, the more they started to find that with as much certainty as you can have about any of these kinds of things, they really did have the body of St. Luke there in Padua. For these hundreds, maybe even thousand years at this point, they had had his body there and did not even know it. And as this guy was telling us the story, you could just sense this joy that he had. The joy that they had discovered St. Luke's there at their church. The joy that he had of being able to share that with us. And I can tell you what joy it brought to me to be able to hear this story, to learn about this. We sat there after he finished talking about it all, and 
We just kind of had a moment of devotion. A moment to go back and remember our namesake. Who he was and his purpose in life. And what our purpose is as a family of faith. We had a time for prayer and and then it was Candace Fish, our director of our traditional worship service at our Edmond campus, that came up and, and she began to lead us in singing Amazing Grace. Our voices all lifted together with Candace leading us as our voices went up to the rafters in this beautiful basilica, singing the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. As we came and we heard that story of our namesake, St. Luke, who for nearly a thousand years had been lost to history. And now by the gift of God's grace, they had found him and the joy of discovery that we all got to experience. As we sat there singing this hymn, I, I couldn't help but think about the author of this hymn, John Newton, his life. You may know that John Newton had grown up at, from an early age, learning to sail, being out on the sea. He had enlisted in the British Navy, but he was really a rebel in every sense of the word. He rebelled against God, said that he didn't believe in God. He rebelled against his family, his friends. He rebelled against all authority. He really wasn't too good in the Navy because he kept jumping ship and running away. Eventually, they kicked him out of the Navy, and he had to go and find another job. All he knew was how to sail, and so he found another job on a boat that was a slave trading boat. This ship was actually going over to Africa. He got a job on the boat, he went over there, and he actually started to participate in capturing people, putting them in chains, boarding them on ships, enslaving them, and sending them over to America to be sold into slavery. He did this for more than a decade. Till finally one day they were sailing out on the sea off the coast of England and Ireland, and a big storm kicked up there out on the sea. It started to, sh to toss the ship all around. In the midst of all of the waves, John was thrown overboard over the ship into the waters. It was his crewmates who jumped in to rescue him, to save him and bring him back on board. He would look back later and he'd say that this really was his conversion moment in life. That this moment, this near-death experience that he had, helped to put things into perspective for him. And he suddenly began to turn his life back to God. It started a faith journey that would lead him forward over the next several years, growing in his faith. Until the point came where he felt that God was calling him and leading him into the ministry. John Newton was a contemporary of John Wesley's in the 1700s. Eventually he would go to seminary and become a priest there in the Church of England. And as a priest, he started to write all kinds of different hymns. And eventually he would write this hymn, Amazing Grace, calling it his spiritual autobiography. That the gift of God's grace could save even a wretch like him, who once had been lost, but now he was found. John Newton was somebody who continued to learn and grow throughout his entire life. Eventually, he would go on to write a pamphlet that was published and distributed all over England. And in this pamphlet, he, it was called Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade. And he said... It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. With everything that John Newton had experienced in his life, everything that he had been through, one of his greatest regrets was that it took him so long to learn 
to grow to the point where he saw the terror, the horror of the slave industry that he had participated in. He came to a point in his life where he began to discover new ways of thinking, new ways of understanding God and who we are all as God's children. His biggest regret is that he didn't get to experience that joy of discovery until too late in his life. We don't have to wait to experience the joy of discovery. We can experience it today. By taking the time to be intentional about growing in our faith, learning about God and learning about the world, learning about the people around us, we can experience more depth, more meaning and purpose to life. We can experience more joy in life. I don't believe that God asks us to be perfect in knowledge because only God is perfect in knowledge. But I do believe that God asks us to be growing. I believe that whether we are two or a hundred and two, there's always new things to be exploring, new topics to be learning about. We can always be on this faith journey, becoming the people that God has created us to be. What I find is that when we live our lives seeking to learn, we really are learning to live. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.